Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally, voidware prohibited, must be 18 or older to enter, no purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird, Inc. CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex. And if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com. Today, we're excited to bring you another Lady Boss interview, where a member of the Hit Like a Girl community interviews a woman in her network who she admires for her professional contributions to health IT. In this episode, Catherine Ayers Wickenhauser, Director of Communications for Direct Trust, interviews Lisa Berry, the interim CEO for Civitas. Both are mission-driven health IT believers and interoperability evangelists and formidable leaders in their own right. They have some valuable insights and industry experience to share, and we can't wait for you to listen. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Hit Like a Girl podcast. I am Catherine Ayers Wickenhauser, Director of Communications at Direct Trust, and I am so pleased today to be with Lisa Berry from Civitas. And I want to follow in the footsteps of my friend, Kat McDavid, who in her guest episode, she's um, told a little story or how she met the person originally. And this wasn't actually when I met you at first, Lisa, but I remember following you on Twitter and always just being um, so excited by your insights and the things that you would share. And I distinctly remember uh, the last ONC 
tech forum or annual meeting, the last one that we had kind of before the pandemic shut everything down. And you went and sat down in the front row and I, I nudged Scott Stewie, our president and CEO, and I said, that's Lisa <laughs> Berry. Um, and so I remember that that's kind of the first time that we we interacted, that I that I met you and saw you. And I've been so pleased to get to know you over uh, the months and the years since, and I'm really excited for you to be here today. So could you tell us a little bit about your background, about Civitas, and then maybe also your why, what drives you to be excited and to work in health IT? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Catherine. It's great to be here. Um, so Civitas Networks for Health, um, we're not, it's not an acronym, just Civitas Networks for Health. You can abbreviate it by saying Civitas like you did, um, is a, a new organization that was created out of the affiliation between the Strategic Health Information Exchange Collaborative, where I'm currently the interim CEO, and the Network for Regional Healthcare Improvement, which and then those two organizations together will make up Civitas Networks for Health starting on October 1st. And I'll serve um, immediately as the interim CEO. And so um, they are, we are together a national membership organization. We're both a membership and a mission-driven organization that represents pretty much all of the community, regional, and statewide health information exchanges and the regional health improvement collaboratives across the country, covering nearly the entire country. And we also, of course, have a direct trust as one of our um, member organizations and our affiliate member category of organizations to support our HIE and RIP members. So happy to continue to work with you and Scott and the team. So um, that's all great. And so, you know, my, myself, um, I have a background in health IT. Um, before that, I worked, you know, broadly at technology companies, software as a service companies, media companies in the Bay Area. Um, and uh, after working in health IT at the now infamous EHR company, Practice Fusion, um, where I led marketing and communications activities for the organization, I um, I found myself really interested in health IT issues, but really, really burnt out by the startup world, ended up sort of um, focusing on policy issues and decided to go back to school um, to get an MPH. Um, I was one of the older um, Master of Public Health, health policy students um, at the school and um, thought I was going to go back into startups and decided after just even a little bit of exposure to health policy at the academic level that I had to get more information about how health policy was made in America. And so I decided to go work for CMS. I worked for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services Innovation Center on um, you know, key uh, value-based care, primary care issues. I wrote health IT interoperability policy for uh, CMS and also for the various programs. And then eventually found myself um, wanting to leave and do other stuff. And then I, that's how I ended up being the interim CEO of Chic for the last year and, and then now moving into Civitas. That's just a very sort of brief overview. But I think that, you know, to get to your question, which was, you know, why do you care about this? I think that for me, you know, I grew up in a family that was full of activists. My mother was a uh, an environmental activist, um, and I spent my entire childhood sort of doing organizing work, um, going to rallies, sort of being very exposed to that world. And both of you know my parents 
and my family before that really uh, you know has this 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 sort of uh, focus on on taking action on uh, doing something you really care about um, sometimes even sacrificing huge parts of your life for that um, and I and I really saw people living with that kind of intention so that's very much my personal orientation. I'm somebody who, if I see something that's wrong, I want to make it right. I'm very justice oriented. And, you know, I have a sort of a personal, um, you know, comfort level with just technology and that space. And that's where I was working before, but I really didn't have any kind of a why to that, right? Working for technology and media companies, I found it to be interesting, but it didn't really, um, you know, answer sort of that need that is within me from how I grew up to work on something I really care about. And with healthcare, unsurprisingly, like probably many people who listen to this, come on this podcast, et cetera, um, healthcare is for me a thing that I care deeply about. And I care about it for lots of reasons. I, I believe that healthcare and health is a human right. Um, and I, I believe that everyone should have access to high quality care. And so that's just a very kind of baseline orientation for me. And then why health IT specifically it is something that I understand and something that I am now good at, right? And so it's an area of healthcare that needs more people to be involved, needs more people to understand how it works and what animates it, what makes it move forward or not. And so, you know, bringing those two things together, that's why I'm specifically in health IT in a very sort of broad uh, sense of the word. What I will say as well is that I also now believe after this many years of working in the space, that um, health IT and health data um, is critically important um, for us to focus on when we think about health equity issues. Um, you know, the, the access to health data, um, the digital silos, digital divide, or some people call it digital redlining, is really, really, really critical um, for broadly reducing uh, health disparities across the country and, and increasing our focus on health equity. So, my interest and my motivation has really changed and grown over the years. And now I'm in this camp where I just think like, this is a really critical area of focus for looking at health equity issues. Sure. And I, I appreciate so much you sharing your background and your why. And I, I can relate a little bit, but in a slightly different capacity. So I come from a family of volunteers. So, you know, you have kind of yeah. your day job and what you do, but you also volunteer for the organizations that you're passionate about and the things you care about. And that's one of the things that really drew me to Direct Trust is Direct Trust is a membership organization. And we have many people who do their work, but also volunteer. And, and CIPITAS is the same way, you know, you have your member organizations and um, these these groups are doing wonderful things within their community and within the industry, but but also volunteering to move together as a group and, and kind of having this collective wisdom and, and information sharing. And so I'm curious, maybe if you could tell the audience a little bit more about Civitas and, and how Civitas brings people together and what the role is of Civitas in the, the healthcare industry. Yeah, so so as I said, you know, Civitas is the combination of Chic and Enri, the network for regional healthcare improvement. And what we saw over time was that HIEs, the uh, community, regional, and statewide HIE organizations, were really doing 
a tremendous amount of work in the health improvement space. So in the beginning, you know, 15-ish years ago, um, HIEs were just built to facilitate clinical data exchange. And then, of course, over time, as, you know, the federal government got involved in different ways as healthcare technology broadly developed, those organizations started doing more and more work within their communities and in response to the needs of their participants, their participants being like providers, hospitals, doctors, et cetera. Um, and so because of that, you now have these organizations that do a whole variety, a wide variety of work, which is really, really spans, you know, multiple things, whether it's clinical data exchange for different purposes, whether it's public health work, whether it's quality improvement and quality measurement work, really is a whole variety of things that they're doing. And so we saw that develop. And then we also have these organizations called regional health improvement collaboratives, which are also just like the HIEs we represent multi-stakeholder governance model organizations. That means that basically, you know, there are people on their governing boards, their nonprofit organizations who represent their stakeholder organizations, whether they're providers or payers or patients or purchasers or employers, you know, local government, et cetera. So these organizations are very similar and they're starting to do more and more similar work. And it just made sense given all the cross-pollination between the two groups that we would bring them together. So this process has been like, you know, almost a year now. We're coming mm -hmm. up on a year of bringing the organizations together. And what we're doing is creating this new organization, Civitas Networks for Health. And we say we're dedicated to transforming the healthcare system to improve affordability, quality, and health equity for people locally and nationally. As I said, we represent HIEs and BRICS um, and really animated by the COVID-19 pandemic, obviously, really emphasizing how healthcare and approaches to improving health are local, right? Um, we really believe that there's all of this important local knowledge, local convening, that's the community, the regional and the statewide level, and that you might have sort of national networks and frameworks but they really um, only exist over time based on the success of those local, community, regional, and statewide approaches to HIE and data-driven health improvement. So those are some of the important things we care about. We say our tagline is regional innovation, national impact. Um, our website is civitasforhealth.org. And so we're, you know, a nonprofit membership and, and mission-driven organization. So we are still really rolling out Civitas to the world. And what that means is that we are working with our members and the work that was already happening with Sheik and Henry to really say, what are the things we want to tackle together? And, you know, one of the kind of preview areas that we'll definitely be tackling more is the sort of future of social determinants of health data and interoperability. So we expect to have, you know, a lot of activity in that area in particular. But we'll keep serving our members, you know, as we did in Chic, as we did in Enri. We have committees and work groups and sort of ways to collaborate. Kind of what you were saying, Catherine, about volunteer. We very much depend on our members volunteering right. their subject matter expertise, their time, their engagement. But we are really trying to help them at the national level with this national collaborative. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I love that tagline. Um, I have more questions about Civitas, but before <laughs> we get there, you know, you mentioned that that Chic and, and Civitas, um, it, it's a nonprofit. And you highlighted at the very beginning some of your background, but I'm wondering if we can dig in a little bit more because I'm always curious about how people get to their current role. And I know, yeah. you know, personally, I've had kind of a weird trajectory to get to where I am. I went from <laughs> EHR training to compliance to communications. And it's it's so interesting just to hear how different people got to where they are. And I think in health IT in particular, we kind of see that that multifaceted and um, and that people are in different sectors and different arenas before they finally get to the role that they're in now. So yeah. could you describe a little bit about how you got to your current role at Civitas? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as you kind of mentioned here, I, I've worked across for-profit companies. I've worked in the government and I've worked, I'm working now in the, the nonprofit sector. And so um, the non-governmental organization sector. So I, um, uh, you know, I'm from the Bay Area, from further north. But if you're from Northern California, you say you're from the Bay Area. That's what you do. And I live, you know, most of my younger life in the Bay Area. And so when I graduated from college, uh, it was sort of a, it was in the dot-com boom and bust era. And um, everybody in everybody who was graduating at that time was, you know, going into work for like startups for startups. They were kind of like called Web two Web two startups at the time. And um, I did the same thing, and then very quickly the economy collapsed. But I, you know, had some initial sort of startup experience then. So those are, you know, um, venture funded, primarily technology focused organizations. Um, and so that was a lot of my career then. Um, and and then you know, and that really took me kind of all the way through to when I worked at Practice Fusion, when I was the the, the marketing and growth executive there. And and it's a really, um, it's just a really uh, you know volatile life. Um, you know, I think in any case, I think something like uh, maybe a single digit percentage of startups actually are successful, and and that's absolutely true in the space. Um, so I was feeling a little bit burnt out from that, and also from the the fundraising cycle when you are a venture funded um, company. You go through different funding rounds, and um, I think we were up to Series D, and I had been part of that process. Um, and little did I know that that experience of fundraising would be very helpful in the nonprofit space. But I did have some experience there, so I was like, "All right, I need a break." So then I, you know, I went back to school and then moved to the government, which is, of course, a very, very different environment um, in terms of you know what it's like to work in the government. I think many people. Um, Probably know that that the, the the rules are different. What you can say is different. How you can present yourself to the public is different. Those things are all true. I would say I definitely push the limits on that. I think that people um, are very nervous, for example, to have a presence on Twitter if they're a government employee. And certainly, I uh, said less than I say now when I was a government employee. But I still, um, you know, found the, I, I walked a line that was a, apparently an appropriate line because I never got in trouble for it <laughs> when I was a government employee. Um, and, and then really just, um, I've been a consultant for some time. That's obviously like working in a for-profit company for yourself, very different, no boss. Um, you are your own boss. 
um, and you have clients. And then, and then just really ended up falling into this nonprofit space because of the need to, um, the, the ask from the HIE community to support them by, um, taking on the, the interim CEO role. And, um, you know, I think one of the cool things about Civitas Networks for Health is that we, um, we are a membership organization, but we are a 501c3 nonprofit, which means, which means we have a charitable purpose for the work that we do. Um, around health information exchange and health improvement. So we hope that we'll be able to, you know, bring that to bear to the work that we do and really emphasize the mission um, that we are putting forward. I love that. And I thank you for sharing your background too. And it's so intriguing always when you hear the different um, skills that people pull from different roles and life experience. And I think that's true in healthcare pulling pulling skills from outside of healthcare into healthcare. And like you highlighted that, that fundraising experience, that becomes a transferable skill. Um, totally. Anything else that immediately comes to mind kind of as a transferable skill that, that you now pull from in your current role with, with Civitas? Oh, absolutely. So one of the things, you know, I definitely consider myself to be a policy person, a health policy person, but I will say policy and politics more broadly, which if you are the CEO of an association, you're, you're essentially a politician, whether you like it or not. Um, the, the, the skills that I pull on most are absolutely marketing and communication skills. I worked as essentially a marketer in, in various capacities for over a decade. And I think that that experience is probably the most valuable experience. Communications, comfort with, um, you know, communicating in different audiences, understanding in which messages will really land with people. Um, that's just so critical. Um, I use it every day and it was um, absolutely really, really important in uh, my facility with policy and policy work. Mm-hmm. And just thinking back to your, your comment about Twitter earlier, you know, to me, something is uh, communications is a skill, right? It, it takes practice. Yes. It takes time. That comfort level takes time. And, and I think about you and, and your role uh, previously at CMS and being a government employee and walking that line, as you said, on Twitter. But also to me, as someone who at that point was in uh, the for-profit world, it was very helpful to me to see people within government kind of share their thoughts in the way that they could and, and information in the way that they could. Um, and so I'm sure, you know, that's definitely helped. Now I, I see your presence on Twitter and I'm always so excited to hear your thoughts now. And, and as you said, um, you know, whether you like it or not, when you lead a nonprofit organization, you're a politician and you, you have a podium. Uh, mm-hmm. So thank you for for sharing all of your background <laughs> and for using using your podium and and uh, promoting some of the things that many of us really care about and seeing how we can make a difference. And so in that vein, um, you know maybe you'd consider this a win from from working at CMS and and being able to walk that line with Twitter. But I, I also don't think that we celebrate our successes enough. And so I'm interested if you might share if there have been any moments in your career that you've been especially proud of or, or any wins that um, just really make you feel good that you'd like to share with the audience. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that, you know, I'm hopefully poised and the team that I work with is hopefully poised for a big win when we launch um, Civitas Network for Health successfully. It's been a year almost now, like I said, and, um, you know, 
it's just a massive effort. Even though these are tiny, relatively speaking, tiny nonprofit organizations, it is a lot of work to bring together two organizations. It is a lot of work. And so, you know, getting getting through the various stages of that has so far felt like a win to me. Um, and and of course, I really could not have done that alone. I think, um, you know, for, for me as well, um, the my my work at CMS um, was really really rewarding, um, and I think that it's very. I want to say it's it's almost addicting this feeling when you are in a really I would say important position in government work because the impact that you have with government work, if especially if you're working at CMS Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, massive massive payer for basically a huge amount of, of healthcare in this country, um, you can't match the impact that you can have there. It's really frustrating. There's tons of downsides to working in government, but it'll be like almost every day you're doing something that has a huge, huge, huge impact if you're in the right role. And so I was helping create, you know, launch and run um, the, the comprehensive primary care plus model, which is a big um, value-based care model for primary care across the country, many different sites, um, many different states and regions, and just a huge impact on, on, on providers, on doctors and practices and on patients. And so you just, you, you just, Everything that we did was really important, actually, for those um, providers and practices and patients. So writing a health IT policy for that model and getting something out there, convening a group of um, payers who are working together on that model, um, seeing the first evaluation reports, um, writing, being a co-author on the CMS um, interoperability and patient access proposed rule, that has a huge impact. Being able to brief, um, you know, the secretary of HHS and and work with all kinds of different organizations, those things all felt really, really big to me. And so those were all some wins just from from, from that experience. Um, similarly, you know, um, when I started my um, now fairly brief consulting career because I <laughs> got a job, <laughs> I don't know that it was an intentional job, but then I found out that I was leading um, this 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 effort with Sheik and and now with Civitas. You know, it was always really wonderful to, um, you know, get a new client and work on something new. So that's wonderful. And and like I said, I I really feel like we don't celebrate enough, or things happen and and then we kind of move on to the next thing. That's the way that that life goes sometimes. And so I really like to celebrate those wins and successes. And kind of on the flip side. Um, because you have so much varied perspective, I'm also interested in what you think opportunities for improvement or challenges that you see in health IT are, and then maybe even kind of a slightly different spin on that. Um, you know, any challenges or opportunities for improvement where women might be best served to lead or could really make make a difference in advancing something or addressing an opportunity or challenge? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I, I would say I, I maybe turn it a little bit on its head and say that I think that there's opportunities for leaders, um, you know, women and, and not women, <laughs> anyone else really, um, who who maybe don't have a super deep um, amount of experience in the field. But what's really important, of course, is that you educate yourself um, and that you get experience and that you. Um, that you, that you that you really dig in. It's easy to skim on the surface, and it doesn't mean that you have to be 
you know, you don't have to be a programmer, obviously, right? There are tons and tons of other important jobs uh, across all aspects of health IT. Um, but what's really important is that you take the time to, to learn and understand. Um, most people in health IT are not informatics specialists or programmers. Um, and, and, and that includes men um, are also not all program, programmers or informatics specialists. What is what really will distinguish someone if, if they take the time to really understand how do the pieces go together? And if you ask someone to explain that in depth and you ask really good questions, you can start to understand systems um, and how they work together and what they do. Um, and it, it really just takes uh, taking some time and asking questions and reading and researching and being curious. I think people often just stop and say, it sounds too complicated, so I'm not going to go further. Or I'm just a marketing person. What do I know about X, Y, and Z thing? And I think you can be most effective when you really push beyond sort of um, surface level questions. And like I said, most people actually uh, don't do uh, the sort of building blocks work. Most people do work that connects different pieces together. And in particular, communicators are really good at understanding how things go together and then explaining that to somebody else. The key to learning and educating yourself is being able to explain it to someone else, right? Mm -hmm. You know you really get it when mm -hmm. you can truly explain the pieces and how they go together to someone else. So I think I would like to see more people um, you know, really dig in um, and you know understand the work and um, and and be able to talk about it at a deeper level. Um, and so I think there's a tremendous just because of the sheer numbers, there are tremendous opportunities for women to get involved across many um, different aspects of of health IT, interoperability, health data work. Because just there's so many, there just aren't very many women in the field, as you know. And so anybody can, can, sh should get involved and should think about how they can educate themselves and learn, um, you know, how to put the pieces together. Mm -hmm. I think that's great advice. And I, I want to focus a little bit more on something that we talked about earlier with support and equity and inclusion and knowing that that's important to the listeners of this podcast. Uh, I want to start with Civitas first. And you mentioned a little bit about uh, what role Civitas might play, but maybe could you describe a little bit more about how Civitas might fit in to uh, driving health equity and inclusion? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're still, as I mentioned, building out all of our programs. We have a couple of different areas. One is very like internal facing. And that is that, as you know, we have a ton of different members. Um, and the people who are most likely to be involved in uh, Civitas's work, I mean, Sheik and Henry's work, are really the senior leaders of those organizations. Mm -hmm. And um, and and that's that's not great, actually. We really need people from all levels of our member organizations to be involved, and we need to also encourage our member organizations to you know do work to uh, build up their own teams to ensure that those teams are diverse to ensure that there is sufficient inclusion and equity across what they do so one of the areas that we plan to bring with us into civitas from enry is called the emerging leaders council and the emerging leaders council really tries to bring in folks who are not at that top tier in our member organizations into our work in a meaningful way and have them also advise the board of civitas so that's one area that's going to be kind of more inward looking. How can we really help our organizations build a more diverse bench, right? To really and, and really promote those people. 
I think for me personally, this is more on a personal level. Um, I really, really believe in succession, succession planning. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I'm really just starting in this role as the interim CEO of Sipitas, um, it's going to be really important for me very quickly to make sure that we're doing that work internally in our own little tiny nonprofit organization um, and really um, deepen our focus there. Um, also, um, and we are all sitting here waiting right now at this moment in time at the end of September, um, the ONC was supposed to release the, uh, or th- supposed to award the public health informatics training, um, monies that they, um, put out a bid for, I want to say a couple months ago, which were in- intended to be a significant amount of money for various minority serving institutions, whether they're HBCUs or other minority serving institutions to actually do really important workforce training in public health informatics. And um, Civitas, as Sheik, um, supported a couple of those bids. And we are eagerly awaiting the results because that will be really, really huge for us in terms of also supporting a pipeline of diverse professionals in the in the space. And so if that happens and the uh, and any really any of the awards are, are given out, I think we'd love to be involved in supporting those um, those folks and those programs with you know internships and training and you know, I don't know, we haven't done this yet, but let's say free individual memberships, just anything we can do to bring people to our conference, we really have the intention of doing that. And with our conference, I would also say um, we announced um, at our conference a couple of weeks ago the Keith Hep Memorial Award, the scholarship fund to bring um, bring different folks from our member organizations and also from community organizations to our conference. Keith Hep was the previous um, chairman of the board of Sheik, who passed away unfortunately uh, last year, uh, very tragically. And um, in his honor, a scholarship fund has been created to um, bring more folks to our conference, also from the community, and really just try to um, broaden our view a little bit. So we're excited about that as well. And then one more thing from, this is personal, this is not Civitas related. I have been also involved at some level, at a small level with Morgan State, which is the HBCU in Baltimore where I live. And I am in the process of creating um, an endowed scholarship fund called the Health Data Equity um, Endowed Scholarship Fund, um, which will hopefully support students who um, who are able to attend Morgan State and um, and uh, study in in their 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 new informatics training program, which is being created now. It's not in, it's not it's not in operation yet. So working with them and trying to support them as well. And for me, it's just really a matter of uh, we need a pipeline of qualified people. Um, we need to look at places that have been underrepresented. And there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of people who are not mm-hmm. represented in our workforce. Mm-hmm. And so what can we do to, um, to, to change that in a dramatic way over the next couple of years? Sure. And I think for the people who are listening, I think there's an, an actionable item. There's a takeaway here um, where Civitas and, and she kind of set a precedent for um, that Emerging Leaders Council is incredible. And just how all these pieces fit together that you just talked about and that pipeline, that succession planning. How can we and Health IT really take that and take that to our own organizations? Because think about how much further that will get all of us. I 
I say it over and over again. I I overuse this phrase, but collective wisdom, I really believe yeah. in knowledge transfer and and like you said, training kind of the next generation or or other people on your team and bringing them up. And so I think that's so critical. So thank you to Civitas for leading the way and, and doing these things. And thank you to you for that endowed scholarship. I think that provides a wonderful example of what someone can do that's actionable um, and really to to create that that pipeline and hopefully drive a more equitable future. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, 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 felt, I started to feel really strange about it, I have to tell you. I mean, I, I think that, you know, your some of your questions are, are, are definitely right on about the underrepresentation of women in our field. But even more than the underrepresentation of women is the underrepresentation, or so the overrepresentation of white people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you and I are both white women. Uh, the people I work with are primarily white women, and of course, white men. Um, uh, you know, and it's just it's a reality. We have to look around us and say this is not what the rest of America looks like, and that is a huge, huge problem. I, you know, I, I think that doing good work is critically important, but I think we also have to address the uncomfortable truth that it is a very um, white dominated industry yep. and it's just not going to get us it's not going to get us where we have to go it's just not and so I, i'm i'm hardly uh, a hero i'm certainly not personally stepping aside right now i would love to get to a place where we can really um, make a difference in the work that we're doing and 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 really diversify our our teams and our organizations and our conferences and everything involved. And so I'll do whatever I can to move us in that direction. Mm-hmm. Thank you for, for highlighting that specifically. And, um, you know, thinking about the many women who, who listen to this, this podcast and their varied backgrounds, you know, uh, everyone lives, works, plays somewhere differently. Um, it comes from different cultures, different backgrounds, different life experiences, I think the women who listen to this podcast are very supportive of each other. And I'm interested too in in, um, anything that you would say or words of wisdom or advice that you would give to continue to foster that cooperation and collaboration rather than than competition. It's It's a really interesting point, Catherine, because I think that one of the things that I've really tried to focus on with Sheik and now Civitas over the last year is this idea of of, of cooperation and collaboration um, in the HIE world, not to get too in the weeds. You know, we have a tremendous amount of uh, change happening in the industry. There's consolidation, there's a coopetition, there's mergers happening, acquisitions. It's a really dynamic space. And um, sometimes you know, the various um, leaders in the space and the organizations can get really competitive with each other, rightfully. They are in many cases in competition. They are going for the same things. They're trying to acquire the same, you know, resources, et cetera. And so I have really, really, really tried to emphasize, you know, collaboration, coopetition, um, let's work together on the things that we agree on and leave the other things behind. There mm-hmm. is a real benefit to us collaborating, even if we're also in competition. And, and I, suspe- I suspect that that is potentially more of a, of a woman-led approach. I don't um, personally, I don't think about that a lot, but, but I think it is um, something that you see across women leaders. It's this idea of like, let's find a way to cooperate. Let's find a way to work together. Let's find a way to benefit from the things we can benefit from together. And so if that's the case, and I would love to claim that, of course, and say like, let's do that. 
I do think that, um, you know, there is just a fundamental sort of, um, because there are so few women in the space still, um, we probably feel an unconscious or subconscious need to, uh, to, to band together and to work together and to help each other out. I think most people feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, um, you know, I suspect that if we bring more women into the health IT space, that we will see more cooperation. I hope, um, and 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 so that's what I'm anchoring on. I'm I'm going to claim that and say, hopefully, that's what that's what will happen. Sure. Yeah. And and to me too, in that regard, and and being welcoming and and bringing more women in. Um, you know, just looking at balance and. And thinking about how there's always change in health IT, you know, you mentioned mergers and acquisitions, and there's always new regulation out, right? There's there's always more that we can do. And just thinking about the specifics of the past two years and the pandemic and how many women have left the workforce and many women have unfortunately left health IT. Um, how, I, th- I think pulling from your your different experiences with the government from the for-profit sector and, and now nonprofit, um, how can we bring women back into the fold? How can we engage them and um, get to that that point that you were just anchoring on of, of being more collaborative and um, you know using the skills and the talents that everyone brings to the table how can we re-engage engage and create space for women again yeah I mean I think that first of all I think that flexible workplaces are critically important for everyone for men women every single person um, I think we've seen that with the pandemic. Um, I think that flexible workplaces are probably um, more important for women who have children and are, are balancing a variety of different responsibilities, which are probably all full-time responsibilities. Let's just be honest. Um, you know, I think that um, for for me uh, during the pandemic, it was absolutely critical that I could work from wherever I was. And I imagine that is the same for a lot of people who are dealing with uh, many responsibilities at home and at work. So my hope is that we'll be able to continue that. Civitas, to be clear, is a fully remote workplace, so that is no problem with us. And you know, all the, the folks in our team uh, and their families are, are able to be as flexible as they need to in terms of when and where they work. So that broadly is really important. I absolutely do not believe in the butts in seats um, you know, management style. And I personally just really, really appreciate the flexibility of working when and where um, I need to. And I think folks do as well. So that will help to some extent. Uh, I think the other thing that will help is this idea that, you know, you can work um, uh, maybe not full time sometimes if it's, if it's relevant for sort of your life and your work. And the idea that people who don't work full time um, are not able to sort of contribute to a company, are not able to, um, you know, move up in the ranks and, and be promoted, that's going to be a real problem. Other countries do things like job sharing when people need to, and it's not a problem. And they, and they are able to continue to contribute and move forward in their careers. So we have this culture of work that is, um, that doesn't, it isn't flexible enough for most people who have full-time parenting roles as well. So I think that um, I think that those things together will hopefully um, you know help with this. But um, I don't think that I think that there are also bigger problems at the 
sort of countrywide societal level about these bigger trends you just mentioned, like women leaving the workforce and women leaving health IT in particular, that I'm not sure that we can solve overall. I think it's mm-hmm. a bigger change. So from my little vantage point, I'm trying to create a work a workplace that is flexible and that you know allows people to um, you know contribute and be recognized um, with a flexible working environment and the remote working remote, remote first working environment. Um, but you know it's a bigger, more complex problem than 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 Civitas can solve. But we will certainly do try and do our part. <laughs> sure, and leading by example is so huge, right? So. Walking the Walk and and Direct Trust is a very similar organization to you also. We're very similarly oriented and and that's been huge. Um, And, you know, maybe looking at kind of the larger trend of how work has evolved in the U.S. too. And even, um, you know, our our understanding of um, workplace and the traditional, you know, quote unquote, traditional person in the family who might be working I crowdsourced questions from uh, before we we got on the phone today. And one of our mutual friends, Cora, she wanted to know in that vein, um, do you have any advice or anything that you've encountered along the way for for making a name for yourself in a male-dominated industry? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I've always, uh, I grew up in an incredibly egalitarian environment. I'm very, I was very much surrounded at all times by women leaders. So for me, it was like a very obvious thing um, that women could be in positions of leadership and that women could have credibility in a technical domain. Um, you know, I did, my mother was a um, was a carpenter, a skilled carpenter. She was the foreman of her um, her carpenter her crew. Essentially, she built yurts, eight-sided homes. They're very complicated to build. So I always had so many um, just just so so many examples of women who uh, were leaders in various spaces. My grandmother went back to school when she was uh, in her 40s and got her PhD in math and graduated when she was 47 and went on to become a professor. So, you know, just so many examples. So for me, um, I would say, uh, you know, it would never occurred to me, not even really once that um, there was anything that I couldn't do. And I've always been very comfortable working with um, men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have any choice, right? Because working in technology companies, even if you're working in marketing communications, you are for sure surrounded um, by men. And it's the same today. So for me, it's just a matter of you know, just being comfortable with my own um, skills and experience and um, just, just being confident. Um, like I said, I like to understand things fully and I like to ask questions. And I think I'm very curious about how things work. And that really helps me build credibility with everyone. Um, I think, I hope. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, you know, I, I, I think that's especially important. Uh, it is really important to approach conversations with your colleagues, especially if they're men with confidence and, it needs to be confidence that's grounded in reality. You have to have credibility. You have to know what you're talking about um, to some extent. And you may have to know what you're talking about more than Amanda, as, as you probably know. But that's okay because, again, I'm curious about how things work. I want to know how they, I want to know how to explain it to someone else. And when I go in with that perspective, um, it, it seems to go pretty well. Sure. And there have just been so many great takeaways 
from this conversation. So thank you for jumping on the phone with me and, and for um, just telling us a little bit more about yourself and your background and Civitas. And so I'm curious maybe just to, to wind up our conversation today. Any final thoughts, advice, words of wisdom, anything at all? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would just say that I, I really, um, I think it's, I want to go back again to what I said before. I think that I think that women who are in the health IT field, broadly spoken, whatever health IT means to us, all kinds of different jobs and companies, um, you know, I think we, we both have the um, obligation to try and be really inclusive about our work and, and bring in other people, um, bring them into the field, help people understand, you know, help people when they're starting to ask those questions about how this really works. Don't let them, don't leave them there with sort of a high level understanding and just sort of um, plugging pieces together. Um, help um, your colleagues learn, help your colleagues get information, help your colleagues, um, you know, be more credible in their field. I think that's a really important obligation. And then I would also say, again, I think it's really critical that we look around and say, not only do we have a lack of women in the field, we have a lack of people of color in the field. And what can we do to you know, bring in um, more folks through various means, whether that's being willing to hire someone across industries who has relevant skills. I mean, Catherine, you called out different types of skills that are really important in the field. And you can find people um, with different backgrounds who maybe just need a little bit of training, need a little bit of experience before they can really be effective. And that has to also be something we focus on. Um, so I would say, you know, help your colleagues build your skills, but also make sure we bring other people into this work. Make sure we bring people of color and make sure that we bring people who are younger and, and, and maybe are just starting out in their careers. Make sure we bring in people who are older with tons of great experience, right? It's just, we, we really have an obligation to say, if this is something that matters to us, uh, being a woman in health IT, then we have to also say it matters that we have people of all different types and backgrounds, whether it's experience, whether it is, whether it's a lived experience, whether it is an identity, whatever it is, we have to bring people in together. So we should be um, the ones who are leading that charge, I would say. Yes, I could not agree more with you. And so just as the the final piece of today's conversation, if someone wants to um, follow you or connect with you or with Civitas, how would they do that? Yeah, so I mean, the best place, as you mentioned, is that I am on Twitter quite a lot, maybe too much. <laughs> My Twitter handle is at Lisa Berry, that's L-I-S-A-B-A-R-I. And then we also um, just launched our new um, Twitter handle for Civitas, and it's at Civitas, that's C-I-V-I-T-A-S, the number four, and health. Civitas for health is our Twitter handle. Awesome. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for today. It's been a truly tremendous conversation. I'm so excited for the Hit Like a Girl community to listen to this podcast and tell us what they think and have a great rest of your day. Awesome. Thanks, Catherine. Nice to be here. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle Hit Like a Girl Pod. Thanks again. See you soon. Hit Like a Girl podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission-driven. 
which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com.